Hi, my name is Ishmael. This is my co-host Kyle. Welcome back to YA Trash, a podcast that I still need to get around to editing and releasing at any point in the near future. I'm well, lazy by nature. Speaking of getting those editing delays out, um, as the closeted, still somewhat teenagers that we are, we have uh, stories about... We're both 20! <laughs> We're uh, that, dog! Uh, do you, would you like to sh- share your uh, story? Did you share yours last time? I can't remember if we got around I did to it. not. Okay, we'll get to your... Should we go in chronological order then? Uh, sure. Why not? I feel like yours is shorter and less karmic. <laughs> of course. So, um, uh, my good cousin, uh, Casey, has been asking me constantly about, you know, this podcast. And I said, well, you know, we have to get to a third episode in order to ascertain its quality, make some changes in editing, you know, make it into a product we really want. And, mm. uh, being the uh, absolute uh, genius that I am, I forgot just how much I said gay stuff. And I'm not... When the entirety of the first episode, like, a reminder, just so people can understand, like, let's peel behind the curtain a little bit. You know how this podcast started? Do you remember? Oh, yeah, I remember. talking about our boy crushes for Fang from Maximum Ride, and they were like, man, do you want to record a podcast about young adult trash? And we're like, yeah. So, I, I boned myself pretty thoroughly, so mm-hmm. after this episode gets recorded and edited, I'm out. So, I laughed and laughed and laughed at this story, because it is quite frankly hilarious. And then several months later, because, boy, has it been a while since the last recording session, my mother, so I wake up, go upstairs, and everybody had been talking about me for some reason, and my mother says, hey, I had this weird dream where you were gay. It's like, oh, that is a weird dream. Like, my parents go, why aren't you denying it? It's like, hold on, wait, I gotta go with pants. So I go downstairs to get some pants on. It's like, well, this is happening. And I came out of the closet. Now, some might define this as an act of God. I define this as an act of pure, unadulterated karma for laughing at you. And, uh, and then you, my turn, to laugh and laugh and laugh. It was hysterical. This is... I feel like if anybody doubts that there is just pure revenge-based karma in this world, that is evidence in, that it exists. Because Christ Almighty, that was an act of God. That was literal premonition. Speaking of God, we are talking about the book Godless. And dis- and despite the name of our podcast being YA Trash, uh, I'm actually a huge fan of this book. You felt it held up? I believed it held up. It's... Uh, I'd like I like to point out this is a book about essentially Christianity, and I don't come from yes. a Christian background, so yes, I come from a Judea, I come from a Judeo Christian background, being Jewish. So I got a bit more of it. I'm just gonna say I don't like it as much as the like as the Mortal Instruments books, but I did think this is a good book overall. Do you want to jump into it? Let's jump right in. All right, chapter one. So I I, I need to start somewhere very important before we even step into this book. The main character's name, the narrator, point of view character, his name is Jason Bach. What type of Superman villain name is that? So book starts flat tone setter. Jason's getting punched in the face wondering about the nature of, you know, God and justice in the world. So already flat tone setter. 
this is for all you cool, edgy 14-year-olds out there. And uh, an interesting thing I thought about this book is that our main character is, like, both huge but also overweight. You know, I, I tried to think of something. Like, I did note that, and I, like, I tried to think of any other examples I can think of, like, tall, overweight characters in this genre. It's like, they're overweight characters are always short, and tall characters, if they're not meant to be, you know, like, physically, like, buff, they're always skinny, and I couldn't... Like, it's very stereotypical, and stereotypes do tend to hold true in that regard, but still, it was interesting. Yeah, he's he's an interesting character in that, like, he's a big kid who's not portrayed as stupid, and also, he's the protagonist. I mean, there are plenty of, like, big protagonists in these types of books, but they're always, like, fit, you know? Yeah, strong Fit or, or fit. skinny emo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Definitely our previous books have held true to that those ideals. Yes, they have. Except for the movie of Mortal Man, that movie. Oh, boy. I just got hit in the face with memories of that movie. Jason is hanging out with his best friend, Peter. I could not pronounce his last name, so I just wrote down what he always calls him, and that is Shin. I think it's Shinner? Shiner? I, I, I couldn't do it, so I just, pronounced, I just wrote down Shin. We'll, we'll call him Shin. The book calls him Shin? The second I saw that before they mentioned his first name, or like his full name, made me think, like, wait, are you just being racist to your Asian friend? No. We're, we're set in kind of a podunk town, if I remember, so. We're set in, I think I wrote down Montana, but I could have gotten that wrong. I am, uh, not sure. We're set in somewhere in the Midwest U.S. Yeah. Yeah. This series... Just as a quick criticism, in comparison to the previous stuff we covered, Mortal Instruments, was that had a very good sense of New York as an identity. This, on the other hand, feels weird. It, it should have been set in the Bible Belt instead of the Midwest. Yeah, I think it's um, I think it's somewhat bland as a setting, but in, in this book, I don't think uh, the details in particular are what we pay attention to even though yeah I think this book is very movies. much yeah so i remember like being bored out of my mind reading this book but like looking back this story is much more interesting than i thought it was mm-hmm. and it's... It's very i feel like this is a fully written book however the story is very good and i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for the author mm-hmm. uh it's definitely a book that would really be good if it was a movie because it spends a lot of time spinning its wheels but when you look back the wheels were Attached to a cart that was going somewhere. Is that the is that the rest of that saying? No, I just made it up because okay. I'm a genius. Anyways, we also have another character named Henry. Henry Stagg, who is also named like a goddamn Superman villain. And he, in this book, kind of plays that role. He is our bully. Yes, he is generic bully here to pick on kids who aren't going to fight back because they're awkward. He's also kind of a weirdo, though. He's short. Henry is very much played like... What was this book written? I want to say 2005-ish, this release? Uh, 2004. 2004, okay, I was almost exactly on the money. Yeah. Uh, Henry is written very much like a, a bully of that era. And I should know, I watched a lot of pro wrestling of that era. So, I am very familiar with how bullies are written from that era. Because there was a character named Bully Ray. Henry... Let's say make some questionable comments about Shin and his possible sexual orienta- uh, orientation. 
it appears that she, that already they're trying to present Jason as more. I'm gonna say cool and calm, collected, you know. But I'm gonna say more apathetic. Not apathetic. I was gonna say calculating. Oh, that's also yeah. I would say that. He felt very much like every move and word he said was part of a plan, which I felt fit his character very well, especially later on in the book. Again, looking like at first, I was like, "Man, this is written pretty like generic." Oh, this is to establish the character smart. Looking back, that was good setup because it's less. Oh, he's smart. No, he's good at manipulating people, especially somebody like Henry, who, and I wrote this down as a quote, has a history of unprovoked violence. Shin. At the same time, is kind and acts how you would expect somebody their age around sixteen to behave. He's awkward. He doesn't really know how to deal with people who are confrontational and confident, and who are using that confidence to feel justified in picking on him. And Henry is written like this from two thousand four before gay marriage was legalized. Henry gets his goons to just beat up Shin. He, he really uh, well. A, a thing to note is that. Shin just, like, curls up and just blocks out everything. So, um, I don't know, given... I, I want to give credit to the author here and say that Shin kind of seems like a somewhat autistic character. He seems a little bit... I was going to say, like, he felt very... I wasn't going to say autistic, but he felt like he had... I could see autism, but it felt like he had, was able... There are people who have, you know, somewhat just, like, somewhat associated to dissociative-related mental conditions that when they just don't want to be in a situation, their minds kind of shut down and take them out of that situation. And to me, that's what feels like happens with Shin a few times throughout the book. Shin is definitely a character who somewhat feels like they're somewhere on the spectrum or they do have a Mm -hmm. mental condition, but they're not written, like, disrespectfully, I guess? I'm not going to say disrespectfully. He feels more like just... He, I feel he's risen disrespectfully, but not because of that, because he is the best friend in a pseudo-power fantasy novel, which is I, always yeah. going to be a disrespectful position. There, there's always going to be characters like that, you know, like Simon in Mortal Instruments kind of started like that. Every character not named Maximum Ride in Maximum Ride is like that. Th- this uh, is definitely an interesting... I, yeah, I actually... I didn't think of it like a power fantasy, but it does somewhat represent those ideals. Yeah, it's not, it's not your typical power fantasy. It is not. So, uh, there's a very interesting video by Cre- Extra Credits called The Power Fantasy with the Stealth Fence. And I'm going to add a third caveat. So the power fantasy is your obvious, I am bigger and better than everyone. You know, I'm able to deal with any situation just through me being powerful. So I'm going to say that also applies to political power. You know, somebody being the president, that's also a power fantasy. Somebody being physically stronger, that's also a power fantasy. Then there's the stealth fantasy. Which doesn't necessarily need to be stealth, but it applies where it's, I am more skilled than everybody. I might be normal, but I am more skilled and therefore able to deal with any situation better than everybody else. That is more akin to, I am able to manipulate everybody around me to be, to get to a position where I can be unnoticed at the top. The book version of that would be, think of the mule from Isaac Asimov's foundation series. Who, if you haven't read it, read those books. They're amazing, and it's a very interesting character. I'm going to add a third caveat to that, which I think this story applies to. And that is the intelligence fantasy. And that is just pure, I am smarter than everybody around me, and therefore, I will win always. 
because I can outchess them. And um, despite our main character being huge, he's uh, in the scene. He physically notes that he could beat the crap out of Henry. He's he's a big boy. He's larger. He's stronger. He's he could beat the tar out of Henry. He doesn't have to take yeah. the bullying. They're on a water tower. He could choke slam that bitch right off. Jason just says it's not worth it. He he does the calculations, like you said. But let's move on. So these three characters will be pretty integral. Uh, also, there was a scene in this that was too real for me, and that was Henry when he picks up when he's picking on Jason. He asks him how much he weighs, and Jason says, "I took my third standard thirty pound deduction," which hurt deep inside because I felt that. I yeah, felt that it, one. This book has a lot of like it it. Its writing is very plain, kind of, and a lot of the characters feel very standard, but there's a lot of very nice details. Yeah. Anyways, then we get back to the start of the book, after Henry punch just rocks Jason across the face, and then Henry's randomly happy. So, my instant thought is, oh, is, is Henry going to be, like, a negative portrayal of a bipolar person? And, like, not really, but, like, still. Henry, Henry's kind of an interesting character. I think he in- mirrors Jason in kind of an interesting way. Yeah. He's equally as uncaring about most of his surroundings as Jason. But unlike Jason, he has no sense of self-preservation. And that's what lets him go as far as he does. Jason is kind of cold and calculating while Henry is explosive and yeah. like Let, Let's uh, say that Jason emotional. is a very logical, logical being, whereas Henry is a very emotional being. It's very desire-driven. And I think as we explore that book, this it, it represents an interesting dynamic between the two. So Henry just uh, decks Jason and just leaves them be. It's worthwhile to point out that, like, despite Henry decking Jason, he didn't really do anything to Shin but push him around. So Henry's a weird character, and then he's not, like, an open-and-shut bully. Anyways, after he gets laid out, he just sees the logo on the water tower and says, water is life. And it's kind of inspired, you know what, man? This water tower is my new god. And that's kind of the start of this book. This is the primary thrust of our book here. Uh, I don't think we'll mention chapters, but in this book, um, every chapter is has a passage at the top. And that passage is essentially a, a verse from the Bible that these kids create. Mm-hmm. And I'm not, uh, I've, you know, I'm not very good with the Bible. Uh, are you? Uh, I, I know quite a bit of the Bible, yes. Yeah, but I would say it is very, very one-to-one in its ideals. Yes. Or in the wording, especially. Yes. In the next chapter, we establish that Jason's mom is rather paranoid, and she very much reeks of generic fictional mom who's always there like oh my little baby boy how did he get hurt and of course the generic dynamic of not wanting her to worry creates him saying instead of that he got hit by henry he ran into a tree and then we get to jason's dad who is maybe the most important thematic character of this series of this uh book jason's dad is a religious nut he is a jesus first family second type of guy He's also a lawyer, yes, which is very important because Jason makes sure we know he picked up on a lot from his dad. 
we enter uh, a scene in the teen power outreach, the TPO. It's a it's a teen like Christian. It's it's like a Sunday school. Yeah, it is, it's exactly a Sunday school. So the meetings are called are run by one Alan Anderson, and he insists the kids just call him Al, but everybody calls him just Al. The TPO is there to give kids a weird. It's 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 there to basically turn kids into priests. It's it's there for kids who want to be priests. That's all it is. Jason, make sure we know he loves messing with just Al. <laughs> and um, the teenagers We're... in this town are clearly bored and kind of forced into it by their parents. So yep. all they do is essentially bother just Al. Jason um, decides not to just mess with everybody. He's going there calm and only thinking about water towers. When just Al calls upon him, he simply says he doesn't really believe in God. Which they make clear that the group does not, or that the group already knows. And then the plot starts when Magda, who Jason finds cute as a button, asks him, well, what do you believe in? He says, I worship a ten-legged god. And Magda asks, well, do they let women be priests? And Jason says, hell yeah, they don't care. And even though he just brought it up to mess with one just Al, he likes this idea. And then we get the line that sums up the entire book, and that is, why mess around with Catholicism when you could have your own customized religion? All you needed is a disciple or two and a god. Because this book, it is about the rise and fall of his ten-legged religion. For being a dumb atheist, this kid sure will run into a lot of problems. But the first thing, he this is like, I think it's interesting as an exploration of how to build a religion. And yes, uh, Jason is thinking to himself, well, it's not that hard, right? It can't be that hard. Yeah. If all these idiot adults did it, why can't I? Yeah. He seems to have forgotten the part where Jesus got really hard murdered. Well, like really let's, hard. Let, let's 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 get into it. The most important part of Jesus' story is how hard he got murdered. Um, he tells this concept to Shin, and he's like, "Yo, Shin, you know what's dope? Water." And you, you ever heard of this water stuff? What I'm, oh God, I just realized. It is Jason, the moderator of R slash Hydro Homies. I don't know. I don't know what that is. What is this Reddit you speak of? Okay. Shin basically is like, are you stupid? And Jason's like, well, prove me wrong. And, you know, it's religion. You you can't. That's the point. That, that's the whole point of it. And and then Shin gets in his head like, wait, what are these things are alien? And, and Jason's like, what, what are you on about? And immediately we establish Shin is a Scientologist. Uh... They are, these two, by the way, are huge nerds. Yes. So, they they discuss about aliens, and it's it's just kids spinning their wheels, really. It, it very much is, like, just a teenager discussion of, like, oh yeah, man, and if aliens came down, I bet they'd have huge titties, and oh my god, I wish they would have huge titties, too. Then we get to one of Jason's, I think it's actually a very important scene. Uh, so, they mentioned throughout the first chapter and this chapter that 
Shin is very obsessed with snails and slugs and other gastropods. And now they reveal that not only did Jason get him on this kick, he's the one who who ostensibly insisted that he get this into it. And we find out that Jason is quite persuasive to his peers. It's and it's a thing where I think Jason definitely I think it's definitely stated that Jason both like knows and doesn't know the extent to how much he influences people. He he mm-hmm. kind of mentions things as a joke, but also somewhat intentionally and then yep. is sh- shocked when things happen because he says things. And then Shin does the one thing all religions say, you know what you shouldn't do? Try to quantify God. And he attempts to quantify his new God. He uses trigonometry to measure everything about the tower quite devotedly. And they do have this pointing conversation about how you can never really pro- truly prove a negative statement about an unknown. So you can't prove God doesn't exist and you can't prove Water Tower's not God. And these snails can't prove that Shin is not their god. It's a, and Shin says it's all relative. And that's very... I feel like that's interesting. And goes in a way of like... I feel like originally at some point, in some version of this story, it was going to have a more environmental message about how clean water is ostensibly our god on this planet. And that got cut and instead got replaced with, you know, it's fucked up Scientology. <laughs> well... I think this is a... It's interesting as both a criticism and an endorsement for organized religion. Yes. I I, I feel like, though, it... To me, like... Uh, how, okay, I'm just gonna blast this. How deep are you into, like, following all the shit about Scientology? Um, I know a good portion of it. I don't know all of it. The, the rise of the ten-legged religion is very... I'm gonna say very similar... Scientology and that it's ostensibly accidental. Mm-hmm. I would also say that um, um, weird to say this, but I think the author's intent for this book almost doesn't matter because it's just kind of a thought experiment of what happens when this kid tries to start his own religion. And it's interesting as a parallel where if you consider the author as god of his own characters then is the author represented by the water tower and that's kind of almost not the case but also is it's there's definitely interesting things to be said about the metatextual narrative here and we can definitely get into this this at any point i think we should finish the story first though yeah but what i was going i was about to say that but what i'm just going to close this by saying is this story definitely felt more so like there is a lot to be read in here than anything we've read so far and I did like that mm-hmm. uh, let's continue on so Shin quantifies God and then we meet one Dan Grant the most boring man Dan Grant is the most boring boring person so they play ping pong and we're immediately introduced to Jason's entire character Dan is physically better than him but Jason always wins because he creates a psychological advantage. He he and, whacks Dan in the forehead with the ping pong. Oh, ball. he just yeets that ball straight at his forehead. Yes, but still, that is in essence a very crucial part of his character. He's he's no real physical threat. Any normal adult can whoop his ass. However, he is very smart and very good at getting to people's heads. 
And also, Dan is, despite him being very normal, he represents something because he is the son of the preacher. Yes. And he is Dan, a preacher's kid. And he is a complete pushover. Yes. So immediately, first thing, Jason's like, hey man, want to join my new religion with me and Shin? It's like, and Dan's like, hmm, is this a cult? And Jason says, it's better than a cult because you don't got to dress weird or nothing. And then we learn that Jason's title is founder and head kahuna and Shin is first keeper of the sacred tent. You, we also get, I think, one of my favorite character moments, which is like, Jason asks Dan, what's the most intel- important element on Earth? And Dan's like, uh, oxygen? And Dan's, er, Jason says, wrong, it's water. And Dan's like, but it, it's, that's not an element. And Jason says, earth, air, fire, and water. Those are the ancient elements, according to the Greeks. And Dan's like, mm, okay. Also, that's wrong. It's super wrong. But it's such know, a it's so perfect encapsulation of these characters. Like, Dan's like, I know that's wrong. Well, you know what? I'll go with it. Why not? So Jason and Dan head over to the water tower. Shin is there with his mouth open, trying to catch a drop of the holy water. And then Jason explains that this, giving thanks to the tower, sacred washing of the hands, and flushing of the toilet are their sacraments. Dan suggests daily bathing. And then we find, and then we get to the core of how this po- religion gets so popular amongst teenagers. Dan says, and I quote, My dad is totally gonna freak. I'm in. And we end on Henry on top of the water tower. In the next chapter, one chapter six, we open with the most atheist thing, atheist shit I've ever heard in my life. Jason, okay, I'm just gonna, I, I wrote a little bit, this one in a little detail. So, sorry if I miss anything, slash sorry if it's a bit rambly. I'm trying to piece together what I can with my notes. It's our endorsement to, I don't know, maybe read the book or an audiobook. I'd like an audiobook of this. Is there not? I would assume there is. Uh, I don't think it's popular enough, which is kind of a shame. Fair enough. But we'll make it popular with our listener. Yes, we will. Hey, hey, any audiobook producers? Do Godless. Godless is actually, like, an interesting book. We'll do it. Fuck it, we'll do it. (laughs) No, we won't. No, we won't. Jason is at church with his family. He was dragged there. And he says, man, what do my parents think? Is this going to make them happier, better, save them from hellfire? What about all the other religions in the world? What makes my parents so sure they're right? And then he muses that, you know what? Ten Commandments sounds pretty all right. Then he recalls Henry sending the water tower after spitting on Shin as if the ten-legged one was sending them an emissary to speak with them. I think think this discussion, it's super stupid, but I absolutely adore it uh jason asks henry how did you get on top of that fucking water tower because it's tall it's really tall it's like 120 it says it's like 15 feet up is where the stairs start yeah and henry just says i flew and they can't disprove him and that is like pissing jason off i have no idea how he got there and i think it's just a perfect like statement because Henry is typically, like, Henry is kind of just an asshole who pushes them around. But he says this, and for the first time in this book so far, Jason doesn't have a comeback. Jason's kind of like, well, fucking shit, dude. He can't disprove Henry. 
And then the cops come. Also, it is revealed that this is not the first time this has happened. Because the cops are like, Henry, you fuck again? And, uh... <laughs> the cop asks him, How did you get up on the water tower? And Henry just says, I flew! And the cop's like, Well, shit. I guess he flew. <laughs> I guess he got it. And then Henry... Or, then Jason sits out on communion. Which is quite important here. By the way, it should be mentioned that from here on out, they shorten Church of the Ten-Legged God to CTG, which sounds like a dope card game. So Jason, Shin, and Dan honor the CTG Sabbath, Tuesday, by having Magnum Brain Blasters. Oh, also, to point out in in this whole communion scene, Jason is not immune to the whole Catholic guilt. Yes. He feels it. Despite him being a, you know edgy atheist teenager he feels it you can't escape it you can't escape from crossing catholic guilt from literal crossing faith anyways yes they have their magnum brain blasters and shin shares the most holy of texts the secret dimensions of the ten-legged god so it is uh 207 feet tall what? that sounds to me that sounds like okay yeah that, i guess that's about what how tall the water tower should be mm-hmm and, and I think it's important because it's like, oh, the volume of the tank is a million gallons and there's eight million pounds of water in there. Out of all the dumb objects you could use to be your god, a water tower is a pretty good one. Yeah, again, you do need water. Like, it's not an un... Like, water is usually one of the bases of religion, so it's not an unfounded one. Uh, anyways, Magda Price, who works at the store they're at, joins them. And while the other guys, as most teenagers in their shoes would be, are just completely stunned at the fact that a girl wants to talk to them and acknowledge their existence, she continues to pick at Jason's brain about the newly named Shutin Godanism. You stick with CTG. Then as Shin joins in and starts to fill her in on the details, she figures out, oh wait, this is a religion about the water tower. Yeah, fuck it, I want in. And... Then Jason says something that's not even, like, rem- this is just plain sexist. It's when they discuss whether or not CTG should admit any females, Jason straight up says, they may require breeding stock. <laughs> and then Magda drums his fucking, dumps his drink in his lap as he deserved. So, characteristic established, Jason's a creepy sex pervert. Mm-hmm. Do you think it's a it's a subtle shot at like Mormonism? I don't think that's a shot at Mormonism. I think that's a shot at just neckbeards on the internet. Oh, with the internet wasn't really a thing in 2004. Shit, it might be. Well, comic book nerds, one thing. Comic book nerds are definitely a thing. Yes, mm-hmm. I don't know, it could be a shot at any number of people, but it is a shot nonetheless. It is definitely a shot. Yeah. Also, kudos to Magda for not taking a shot at hearing that shit. So, now our religion's somewhat off the ground. We have a couple of members, we have a god. So, Jason makes a list for himself. Jason gets home, makes a mental list of to-dos for CTG, gets dressed, has to go to his dad's cousin, Uncle Jack's house, who is the father of Jack Bach Jr. Again, Bach, not a very intimate, not, not a very, that's not a name I would follow to death is what I'm going to get at. Jack Jr. is 
a football jock, and they make very sure you know he's very religious. And then Jason and JJ have a little talk about the church teen power meetings. And Jason decides to tell JJ he thinks church stuff is, quote, a load of crap, and that he's shooting Godian, which he says is a cult, just to freak him out. And then Jason tells him about all the animal sacrifice, Satan worshipping, and blood drinking he does. And JJ kind of buys it, again, showing this weird, I'm going to say sociopathic characteristic of Jason's that even when he's joking, it's impossible to tell, and it becomes convincing. He, he's definitely someone who leverages kind of, I guess, the religious nature of his town. Yes. Then, as another joke, Jason shoves JJ into a pool, but not really as a joke, because in essence, him throwing him into his new god. I think that's... I think it's definitely representative. It's, um... It's, it's leaning into the idea that he is starting a cult and sacrificing someone to his god. This just ends, kids. This book says Scientology bad. Read more in this book to find out why it says Scientology bad. But maybe also Catholicism, but only maybe. Maybe Catholicism, but definitely Scientology. So, Jason spends the next day trying to get up the water tower and thinking about it thinking about it thinking about it and he can't he can't figure it out uh Shun and then Shun shows up he's like hey man why the hell did you talk to Magda that way that was really weird did you channel the ten-legged one and Jason kind of shrugs it off no 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 like, other way around what Shin Shin was talking to Magda really weird oh yeah sorry I got it I got it backwards in my notes yes Shin claims he was channeling the ten-legged one when he was talking to Magda in a, that weird way. And Jason just kind of brushes a lot of it off as Shin being weird, but we're going to run into it more and more. And then Jason goes to Henry's house, and Henry gets and Henry invites him in, gives him a Coke, and Jason is surprised to find Henry's ra- rather well-read, has a that long and vast collection of sci-fi novels they talk about. And as they talk about sci-fi... Jason eventually slowly eases his way into a normal conversation with Henry and asks Henry, hey man, how'd you get up that tower? And Henry just wants to know, what are you guys up to? Oh, well, you know, we're part of this new religion. Magda's in it too. Uh, you want to join man? Like every Jehovah's Witness, Jason went to this dude's house, got in his ear, and got him in his religion. I was just thinking about the whole Henry flying thing. It's weird that Jason mentions him being like a Jesus or a devil. And that's kind of what Henry is. He's, you know, he's the what he's their ticket to God, but he's also like a not a good person, you know? A someone who a ladder that will take you up to heaven but also will throw you back down. But we're it's... going to go climb the water tower. Just after midnight, Jason slips to the water tower with Henry. And he notices Henry just has already climbed up. And Jason starts climbing up and up the water tower and makes the horrible mistake of looking down and freezing up. And Henry makes it to the catwalk down and clown around. And they just keep walking higher and higher until they're at the exact center top of the tank. And Jason just 
clings to steel post and kind of just talk, they just kind of sit down and talk about their new god you know what happens when it gets by lightning how can it can see the entire town what's that like Jason decides that all his new followers must always climb the tower at midnight at midnight mass the next Sabbath and Henry says this is my territory so Jason makes him the high priest to me this was more of a scene of Henry ostensibly using his weird ability shall we say of being the only one who knows how to climb the tower and the man who is probably the most dangerous of any of them or any of the named characters so far to weasel his way into a high position in the CTG church. They also have an interesting conversation, which is, if the water tower is God, then who's the devil? Which our two characters represent and don't represent. You know, the high priest of a religion, the the angel Mm -hmm. of our religion, and also the devil of the religion, where the devil is taking the angel to get close to God. So Jason just sleeps through the whole day the next day, and... He says he was up the whole night having a religious experience. And then he just decides to mow the lawn and then he has to just go get gas for it. And he just goes to Shin's house, tells him, I was standing on God's head. And Shin's really sad. He's like, man, why did you go without me? And then you went with Henry? Dude, that guy's an asshole. And then Jason, and then we see kind of in Jason's head a little bit about Shin. And he says, I can't tell him he's a pathetic nerd, so I'm just going to lie to him. And the lie is that Henry would only show him how to climb the tower if he came alone. So this is already starting Shin's... Or Henry's... Fuck. It's already starting Jason's manipulation of everybody around him to get the desire he wants. This is a pretty classic thing of... Our main character gets drunk. They're getting drunk on their own power. Shin starts crying and Jason feels impatient and bad. They mention impatient first, which I think is actually pretty important. Jason feels more annoyed by his friend being sad at his his perceived betrayal than he does bad and sorry. So he simply apologizes to Shin and says that now he knows how to climb climb up the tower, they can do it tonight at midnight. And after this little exchange, he decides to wait to tell Shin that Henry is the new high priest of their religion. And then Shin, uh, then Jason gets home, mows the lawn, and Magda calls him. And once again, we see Jason taken out of his element. He is no longer a religious leader. He's once again an awkward teenager who doesn't know how to talk to girls. He's now again edgy atheistman. And he says, well, I climbed up the tower. She says now she wants in. After this call, Jason sneaks to Shin and flips through a sketchbook as Shin reveals that he has written Genesis, the first book of the sacred text, with 60 pages and a few tiny drawings of water towers. And Shin tells him that he doesn't feel it's him writing it, and that the water tower is just taking him over. Because there's a lot of it. There's tons yeah. of it. And they, by the way, it should be mentioned, they start to refer to the water tower as him with a capital H much like how God is referred to in the Bible here. And Jason has no idea if he's kidding, and he's somewhat terrified of what he's done to his friend. This is where the L. Ron Hubbard connection for me clicked. 
So I'm going to pause the story a little bit here and just regale you all with a little story about how Science Hour started. So L. Ron Hubbard is a psychologist. Also a science fiction writer. Also a science fiction writer. Semi-successful. Yes. But I'd fairly successful. Mm-hmm. That, that's not, that is not the important part here. The important, uh, I mean, that's important to the text he writes about Scientology, but that's not important. The important part is psychologist. It's worth noting, pretty much every technique used to found the church Scientology from a psychological standpoint was used at first to attempt to treat veterans with PTSD. And it was extremely successful. But not just to them. To ostensibly anybody who felt ostracized, vulnerable, or simply anguish at society at any point were extremely susceptible to every technique he used to get somebody to open themselves up to him and to follow him. Similarly, you know, uh, places with higher stress, dissatisfied people, like yep. uh, a lot of parts of Asia LA. have a high number of cults. Yep. And this is how Aaron Hubbard, through using basic psychology methods and science fiction, which his writing is quite compelling, he used it to ostensibly start the world's largest cult. And that's where we are, is what started as a harmless joke is now starting to actually seep into these young people's minds because they are vulnerable people. They're mm-hmm. all in a small religious town. They feel ostracized from their parents' generation if they're not hyper-religious, or they want to rebel against their religious parents, or they're simply mentally ill, like Henry and Shin. And they fell suspect to somebody who didn't quite understand what they were doing. Um, I think this next part also ties into L. Ron Hubbard. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, later in life, he wrote a biography, and his entire biography is all lies. Because it spirals out of control. Yeah. And moving to this next chapter, we're going to start to see these lies spiral out of control. Jason leads Shin uh, up the tower. And Shin can't do it. He just can't. And it's worth noting that Jason simply tells him that they're all going to climb up no matter what. And on the day of the midnight mass, he will. Shin will climb up. And Shin says something that's pretty interesting, which is the ten-legged one won't let me climb him. Yep. And I think that definitely speaks to a lot of the ideals of religion, you know? Yes. It's deflecting your personal failures yep. onto an external source that doesn't yes. talk to you. Oh, the devil took over. I got angry. Oh, you know, God didn't want me to be successful, etc., etc. Mm-hmm. God works in mysterious ways. The next day, uh, Magda and Jason hang out a little bit, and Magda reveals that She's into them bad boys and likes Henry. And we start to see another very key aspect of cults show up. The sex. It, and it, not, all, it, all, it all rolls into one big ball. Yeah. We, we open up on Jason directly addressing our audience. Yes. Well, directly addressing us, the audience, but yeah. also kind of directly addressing the characters he's in the room with, Dan and Shin. Jason just matter-of-factly explains... That since Henry taught them how to climb the tower, Henry is the high priest, and Shin is struck 
Henry says he simply expected more people to be part of the church. Jason says that the church is still seeking new members. And Henry suggests his two goons, Mitch and Marsh, the most goon names ever. Shin says that they're idiots. And Henry, instead of just punching Shin right there, says, since when does being a moron disqualify a guy from worshipping a water tower? And Jason is surprised at how well Henry is manipulating the other two. I'm going to say a key part of Jason's character is also he doesn't know here that he's also being manipulated by Henry. Something that's very interesting about Henry's char- or Jason's character is he's very ignorant of any influences on him. He's influenced basically of influence. He's very ignorant of influences. Mm-hmm. He's ignorant and of the influence he has with other people and that people have on him. When he directly addresses the audience, he says something that's, that all boils down to I don't have to believe in my own religion to be a part of it. But yep. at some point, he doesn't realize that other people do believe. He doesn't realize that, you know, Shin really does believe. He doesn't realize that, you know, this religion manipulates him back. Yeah. When you start lying, it it becomes a thing of you're manipulating other people. But at a certain point, you start to believe your own lies. If you're good enough at selling people your bullshit, your bullshit starts getting sold to you. They then plan for everybody to get up there for the Midnight Mass. Jason says that Henry will lead the worship as high priest. So Henry says, why do I got to do it? You made me high priest. And Shin bolts for the doors, crying. And everybody's kind of weird about it. Henry says, man, that guy's weird. Magda's like, man, you guys are mean. And Jason feels kind of guilty, but he hates having to explain and defend Shin's behavior. And then Jason buys everybody some drinks. He buys them brain blasters, which is the ultimate drink. I wish I had a brain blaster. I think you would actually... I think you and I would both die. Yeah, very much. So, Jason visits Shin as Shin is sulking. He finds that all of his gastropods have died. Yeah. Jason encourages Shin to climb with them. And Jason says he's going to build a stairway to heaven. And Jason is literally going with going to build a stairway to help Shin. And I don't feel like this is out of any selfless desire to help his friend or to continue his friend's obsession. I feel like this is where we start to see Jason need followers. Because the next scene is him building building stairs in his garage. And Jason's dad confronts him about about being weird about the church. And he notices he's using details that just Al had been privy to. And Jason gets mad because clearly just Al has been telling his dad some things. And he says those things are supposed to be private, like a confessional. His dad, you know, kind of transparently says, I know everything, right? And it's clear that he and his dad are somewhat the same. They both know the deal, but they're skirting around the topic. Mm-hmm. Jason's awkward around his dad. His dad's awkward awkward around him. Neither of them are willing to address the actual issue at hand. Oh, well, even beyond that, this whole religious fiasco is not willing to address the issue at hand. Jason feels conflicted with his own views on religion, him being an atheist, and the views around him, those being Christianity. And so he, as a joke, 
starts a religion and it gets out of hand because he never wants to back down and say, guys, I was joking because I don't want to deal with this because nobody respects his view that God doesn't exist. So it is the night of the midnight mass. And everybody arrives, Magda with Henry. And um, Jason throws down his stairway to heaven, which is a 14-foot yes. long rope. It's a, it's a rope ladder. Yeah. This was my, like, personal reading into it. I don't think Jason has worked on anything this hard in his entire life. Nope. It doesn't say that, but it feels it. like that. Yeah, both his parents were weirded out by it. He was, he was noted to be in a sweltering heat in his garage. It was very weird for him. He was already noted to be not exactly the hardest worker by nature. This starts a weird religious, like, pseudo-schism where Henry sees climbing the ladder as cheating and heads for the cables. Whereas Magda and Dan find the ladder. Shin wants to go up the ladder last, but he gets stuck. Yes, he's completely stuck. So Jason is conflicted. He both feels sorry and wants to help Shin. But, but he's, he's the leader of a religion. He's the leader of a religion, and he's angry. Because, like, man, I made you this fucking ladder, and you're fucking freezing up on me, man. It's embarrassing. I think another thing that's really interesting is that Shin tells him to go, to go up. And Jason just accepts that. Yep. Which, you know, for all his intelligence, it's incredibly dumb. I don't think it's dumb. I think he straight up doesn't care about Shin. I think, I think, I think that also... Any excuse to get rid of Shin. Yeah. Not get rid of him, but push him to the background. Just not deal with him. Mm-hmm. It's embarrassing. Yeah. He doesn't want to deal with this dude who he's called pathetic, a loser, a nerd, multiple times. And then Henry takes out a hacksaw and decides to open up the well. He also breaks a light on top of it. And Shin fucking left, and Magda couldn't find him. So, back at the top of the well, Henry and Dan are peering into the tank opening. Henry shines a light inside to reveal a platform. Shin gave up. Yeah, Shin just gave up and left. It's like, fuck this, I'm going home. More than anything, this sums up the delusions of grandeur that start to form in Jason's mind. Yep. He says, I can't be responsible for every little glitch in Shin's pathetic life. And he starts to, like, like again, he's, from the start of the book, he portrayed himself as better than Shin. But he wouldn't stick up for him. Or he barely did. But now, he's just done with Shin. And again, I feel like it's something that is a bit of a plot hole. I feel we're supposed to feel like this is so fast that he's giving up on Shin, you know? He never really cared about him. But we don't know how long they've been friends. We this they, period, They're supposed to be friends for a couple of years. Like, this is supposed to be simultaneously a compounding issue, but also something that's happened very fast and rapidly with no build because Henry's a dick, or because Jason's a dick. It's a thing where Jason's kind of a sociopath, where he wants to feel bad about it, but he doesn't. Yes. That's why I, I made point to mention that he felt frustrated before sorry. Mm-hmm. And I think I think it definitely builds over time. I think this is just... Uh, Jason always felt this way. It's just now he has reasons to express it. And 
then they just jump in the tank and start playing around in the water. Which has probably contaminated this whole town's water supply for a while. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, you're not supposed to swim in a well. Mm. Or a water tower in this case. But, you know, whatever. And they just have some fun in there. Yeah. And something that is important to say is that Jason jumps in last. Yes. Well, I feel like... I feel like that's because these people, instead of viewing his religion as an actual religion, so far I've been viewing it as just a fun thing to rebel at their parents mm-hmm. or just to do. Goof off. Yes. And Jason has kind of convinced himself both of this religious value, but not really. So then he jumps in. Mm-hmm. I think this is the, the infamous, like, this is the point of contention. This is where he could turn it all around. But he doesn't. He jumps inside God. Because God is his plaything. So as they are out and getting ready to leave, Henry straight up slips and falls off the water tower, and they hear a loud clang. And Magda starts screaming and crying. Everybody assumes, oh shit, Henry's dead. And also, um, as I pointed out, the essentially Bible versus the top... This is where the Bible verses talk about, essentially, the wrath of God. Yes. And Henry slips and falls, falls 30 feet, and badly breaks his leg. And they start to panic and worry how they're going to get Henry down when they hear the police come and commands them to come over. Now, this is... uh, I mean, it's most explicitly the wrath of God. Yes. This is explicitly, they were punished for playing in God. Mm-hmm. And, and we're going to watch God work his great magic. They're in jail. So Jason's sitting in jail. Yep. As most religious leaders do at some point. Looking at you, Big J. And he's thinking about, you know, what will happen to me? Uh, you know, what, what's the problem? Until his father comes and picks him up. And his parents just don't know what to do about it. Like, they should have asked, should we punish you? We also... There's also a bit about Henry in here that's really interesting. Uh, where, where Jason's worried that his father's going to beat him because Henry told Jason stories of what Henry's father would do to him. Mm-hmm. Where... Henry's father would beat him really, really badly. And when Henry's father got killed in a truck accident, Henry doesn't care. But that doesn't matter to Jason. He just cares about what's going to happen to him. Yep. And his parents simply punish him, take away his phone, take away his car until the beginning of school, which is six weeks away. And it's as simple as that. Henry's alive. Henry's alive, thank you. Okay. He broke his leg. So then, Jason calls everyone he knows. He calls Shin and doesn't Uh, get a response. Doesn't answer. Magda doesn't answer. Dan doesn't answer. And he gets to Henry at the hospital. Henry had a broken femur, two ribs, and a dislocated finger. And And Henry makes the point of, you know, it was worth it. I'll always remember this moment. This is like one of the, one of those defining moments of my life. Then Jason decides before his mom gets home to try to go to Shin's house. And, um, 
in the top, uh, it describes a schism in the church, and that's what's going to happen right here. Yeah. We have Shin, who, and let's call him what he is, he's pretty much the only real follower of this church, versus pretty much everybody else who are only in it for baseless teenage fun, you know? Jason, it was a joke. Dan, it's a way to get his dad. Uh, Max, it's a way to get closer to the boy she likes, and Henry, vice versa, it was a way to get closer to the girl he liked. It was just some fun for teenagers to do towards the end of their summer vacation. And Shin, Shin says something that's really interesting, which is, you entered the Godhead without me. And which, by the way, is the most metal way to phrase that. Yeah, but we've never heard the term Godhead before. This is all made up by Shin. Shin, you know, we understand well, what Shin he means. Shin wrote Genesis. He wrote in a, a Bible. Yeah. And Shin says, I've restri- I received instructions from on high. And Jason kind of gets it. Just a little bit. Yeah, but Jason also says maybe we've gone a bit too far with this whole ten-legged god thing. But Shin has made up his mind to climb the tower again. And Jason finally gets it. Yep. He he says, I've had enough of towers and gods for one day. God has punished him. And now he's paying... He's afraid. Yeah. And he's going to literally pay the, the toll. Because Jason's dad comes to talk to him. He's like, man, I met with the city attorney earlier. And the city had to drain and sterilize the tower dumping a million gallons of water and that cost more than $2,000 which you kids are going to have to pay back now granted $2,000 across four kids that's about let's say uh, $450 each yeah 500 bucks each whereas and plus the medical co- I, I'm, I'm not American I'm Canadian, so... Medical costs are high, let's say. Yeah, the medical costs, for one, Henry, are going to be quite high. Unless unless hospitals go easy on juveniles with dead parents, which I doubt they do. And, uh, his... Jason's father talks about, essentially, his own experience with Christianity. But, it... Jason says something that's kind of poignant, which is, his father also is somewhat like him. The father doesn't really care. I mean, he's a true believer, but it's not about what God is. It's about what God can do for him. Yes, and that's ostensibly the point of religion that most, that many philosophers since ancient Greek times have decided is the final point. No, you cannot prove religion is real, but what does it do for you? Is Is it a positive or a negative presence in your life? And his father just gives Jason a stack of books on theology, says, that was created, kids. Give me a goddamn book report on these. Just so he knows his son understands. Okay, listen, kid, your joke's kind of funny. Here's the actual point of this shit. Can we cut out the edgy atheist bullshit? Which, at a certain point, I really respected. I appreciated this. This scene was great. Because it didn't portray his parents as just idiots. It portrayed his parents as actually knowing what they're talking about. Which is kind of the opposite of what many stories like this do. Although, I think it does say something is that his father does kind of take the... Uh, I think I think Jason does point out something, which is, like, his father takes the adult high ground that is, you know, pretty common, which is 
you're young and stupid, but I'm old and wise, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I know God is real, but that's why you don't think God is real. And I think that does stem to something, which is it. it's a lot of reason why kids are dissatisfied with God. Because what does God actually do for them, you know? How does God yep. exist in their life? Maybe old people, it's another story, but for young people... You know, it's just adults telling you that something exists and you're supposed to just take it at face value. Yep. So it's a nice contrast between the the actual theory, like the actual basis of atheism, which is like, well, really, there is no proof. You can't. It's all made up. It's all made up. And then yeah. his father saying, you know, this is what it represents. Yeah, he doesn't. It's, it's very worth noting. It's not the Bible. He gives him books on theology mm-hmm. to me that says something about his father that says a little bit about his backstory and that is simply again i might be reading a bit too much into it here but follow me on this oh no i think you're completely correct to me that says knowledge of his father understand that to me this says his father obviously like most religious people have had has had his doubts has gone through his face was like no i don't think god's real read things about theology became versed in theology and actually understands it and there is a point that I feel has now become more poignant and that is if you go on the internet and dare to claim that you are religious you have to be a goddamn theology major because every atheist on the internet wants you to know that you're a bad person for daring to believe in God so if you don't have a major in theology I have seen this exact argument so many times in just any form on the internet you know just Tumblr, Twitter Reddit etc just hey man you know uh this guy died oh he's in a better place i hope you can find peace oh well you know what the heaven's not real i think this book represents kind of somewhat of those ideals really well uh especially in this next passage which is there's a conversation between jason and just al about per- religious persecution and that is well why did new religions get persecuted why does is Christianity taken seriously, but let's say my religion not? And that is an interesting point. Why is something like why is basically Islam the la- the cutoff point for when a religion can be taken seriously? The the question, I think, very wisely, the book doesn't answer. There's no answers no. proven. They just say, I know God is real. You know, I can feel that God is real. And for Jason, that's just not enough. Yep. So and it's never going to be enough. And controversially, they do point out that Jason's argument is essentially, well, I feel God isn't. And I think it's a, I think it's actually the, probably the best explanation in that this book can provide, which is, well, maybe, you know, I don't think this book can really give a definitive answer. Basically then Magda and Jason start talking. Magda was forced to quit her job and has to babysit her brothers. And Jason says, hey, Henry says he wants to climb the tower again. And Magda says, "Jason, uh, Henry has a good heart. And Jason gets jealous and asks, don't I have a good heart? He thinks it. Yeah. Or he doesn't say he thinks it. He says it in the narration. Mm-hmm. It, it's interesting how simple it all is of how Jason's whole focus is always on himself. Never on anybody around him. 
this book very much views him in a Machiavellian lens of there is no good such thing as a truly good deed as everything is done to benefit you. Mm-hmm. If you do something good, it's to make you feel good. The interesting part is we explore kind of... Jason starts working on a comic book based upon the Midnight Mass. Yep. And he adds a scene where Three Commandments are etched into the walls of the tank. Uh, I think it's somewhat representative of him trying to take back control. Yes. Because the commandments are ostensibly a way to control followers, right? Yes. I well, think. think about... Okay, so do you know the story pre-Moses of how the Jews got to Egypt? No. It is ostensibly... Okay, so ostensibly when the Jews were traveling to the Holy Land again, because that happens a lot. Of course. So I'm decided, you know what? Fuck this. We're staying in Egypt. This place is nice. It's got a nice river. It's a nice river. And then the others, and then, you know, a lot stayed in Egypt, and also we most stayed in Egypt. It caused a schism to Judaism that separated them until the rest eventually came back to Egypt, but still caused this massive cultural schism for the Torah between the two groups. Moses happens and unites the group back under a god who they no longer believed in after, you know, 500 years of slavery, because, you know, that's going to beat the god out of you. He unites them with the Ten Commandments as given to him by God. Hmm. This is literally Jason taking control of his religion from literal, from his literal Mount Sinai in his communion with God by writing down the three commandments of his religion. And I think in something very key to his character, though, to show he doesn't really care about this stuff. He tries and fails to read the, the books on theology his father gave him. Some of them are kind of horseshit, though, but... Yeah, whatever. They're, they're, they're the teen youth books, but I'm there is definitely, like, purpose to them. Um, and then the next day, on Tuesday, the Sabbath, Jason goes to check on Shin, and Shin is on his roof. Chanting. Practicing to climb. And not the ladder climb, mind you. He's practicing the wire climb. And Shin then takes it further, saying he talks to me, capital H he I hear what he says about, he's talking about the water tower by the way, he's saying the water tower is speaking to him and he also yells at Jason for letting Henry spoil things for, and for leaving them and Jason's a little creeped out I, I think I think this is an excellent scene, I love this scene, yeah so Shin says he doesn't he doesn't want you he wants me but the next paragraph he says is that you think it's a joke. You let Henry Stagg spoil everything. You left me on the steps. You left me. It's mm-hmm. the perfect, like, example of almost, like, both objectifying a person and, uh, like, how religion kind of treats things. Yep. It's also worth noting that this is also... Henry, uh, Shin's example of using religion to deflect. He's saying that he is the God-appointed prophet, and that Jason, despite Shin telling him to leave him, left Shin, which angered the God. And also, this is almost representative of Shin switching gods, right? Yes. I think it's fair to say that Jason was somewhat treated as a god by Shin, and this is Jason being usurped by the god he created. 
Yes. So Shin's mother comes out, yells at them both, and she blames she blames Jason, which is kind of his fault by Shin is climbing their roof. Mm-hmm. So then, and Henry Henry is revealed to be treating this religion somewhat more seriously than Jason, even because Henry reveals that he has written six commandments and has inv- invited his other friends Mitch and Bobby into. Uh, Shooting Godism. Which is spelled differently. Yep. And they are now called Toot, which I love. And Henry and Magda wrote six commandments. And Jason protests, saying that he's the Pope, basically. And Henry declares that the Toots are Protestant and don't recognize the Pope. And now we're literally in a goddamn schism. It's the Toots and- versus the Chuten Godians. Godians. Then Jason gets in more trouble because Mrs. Shin calls and tells on him, basically. Jason is, again, just killing time. Yes. And then, a few days later, someone has painted graffiti on the side of the water tower tank. Don't be a wuss. Which is apparently one of the Chute's commandments. I like these commandments, by the way. They're pretty funny. And Magda just says, I don't care about this bullshit anymore. Please stop talking to, to him. Straight up. Shall we say this is the start of the end of Shutengodism? Oh, it's the start of the decline. It's the start of the Holy War. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Well, I mean, this is the literal schism. We're, we are now entering the phase of European history where there were four popes. Were there four popes or three popes? I don't remember. I don't remember. Anyways, the next morning, the police show up and are like, hey man, you put that on the tower? He's like, no, it wasn't me. He's like, I don't believe you. He said, dude, it wasn't me. And then they believe him. Jason then decides to attempt another, just have another go at his book his, reports. His book reports that has that assigned to him. And he just sleeps all day. Cannot sleep at night because he slept all day. And notices a bunch of flashing lights at the tower. And thinks, oh, it's one of the stooges again. And then realizes that there's an electrical storm coming. And it's definitely not them. So he decides to sneak out the window because somebody's going to die. And he sees that it was Shin. And Jason is proud and angry because Shin has just climbed the tower. And yes, he is now with his god. But the whole storm is picking up. Jason tries to yell for Shin to get down, but he can't be heard. So Jason starts climbing, and Shin is on the dome, and his arm is on the pole with a blinking aviation light. Jason tries to get him to uh, climb down, but Shin insists they go inside instead and that they'll be safer in the water. Jason Jason saws out the lock. They climb inside. A thunderclap is, quote, so loud and close he can feel it vibrate the shell of the tank. And he shoves Shin off the platform into the water. And they're just locked inside the tower. I think the most interesting thing is that as Jason is um, com- climbing up, he pauses to take a break and he notices this spray paint that says, Don't be a wuss. So the commandments of his rival religion are the things that guide him. As, as much of a leader as he is, he ends up being a follower. 
it's it's a weird kind of like commentary almost on religions that are different but have the same god. Yes, it's most explicitly the Protestants and the Catholics, right? I uh, I felt like this exact example was actually more a more a commentary on Jews and Catholics, but yes, it's very similar to Protestants and Catholics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot here. There's okay. definitely a lot. I feel like, I, like, I feel like what tears this book is that you can clearly tell there was thought put into this. Mm-hmm. There's a lot to talk about and to think about. We may not like... I think the characters are both interesting but also kind of flat because they have to take a backseat to the actual narrative of the story. But, um... And then Jason... Then Jason is told by Shin about the, the truth about this world. And honestly... He's right. The book has convinced me, man. There's so much about it that makes sense. Kyle, follow me on this one. <laughs> so really, the ocean conscious is a person. The ocean is alive, dude. And and the avatars of the ocean on land, water towers. Think about it. Have you ever seen water on land except for water towers? Exactly, you haven't. But wait, why would we do that? To talk to the aliens. Well, why are the aliens? Well, you see, the Jews are aliens, and I'm getting to some spirit science territory <laughs> now. By the way, anybody who hasn't, grab a friend, maybe grab a drink if you're into that, sit down one night, and watch all of spirit science. It's so amazing. I think the best part is Shin says he's the chosen one. Yep. He says he has been chosen by the avatar of the ocean to be his prophet, and he thanks Jason for opening his eyes and ears. And... As he says that, lightning strikes the tower. And then the storm subsides. And they're fine. They're fine. But Shin refuses to leave the tower. So Jason just calls the cops. Which, you know what? Good plan. Jason is, once again, doing public service. Because he got caught in the tower again. He's paying his debt, which is 210 hours of community service. Which doesn't feel like... I was about to say, it doesn't feel fair, but I remembered, wait a minute. That's because Shin climbed 4, in, they had to do the same thing again. It's a lot of money, man. Yeah. So, Shin spends a few days in a psych ward, and Shin's mother refuses to let Jason talk to him. Dan and Jason meet up during their community service, and Dan is very angry at Jason, blames him for Henry's injuries, blames him for him and Magda getting punished quite severely for this and Shin is going somewhat insane and Dan doesn't blame Shin's mom for being angry at him because he believes that none of them should have listened to him as God is not a joke and then Jason actually wonders is Dan right is he evil and then he decides to sneak into Shin's house after Shin's mother leaves and he sneaks into his room notices that his gastropodarium is missing no more no more snails and he reads from Shin's sketchbook, and it's nothing but page after page, and thousands of words, according to Jason, of Shuten Guardian Genesis' story. This is... it's the destruction of... it's Armageddon. Yeah, then there are tons of drawings of water, and the Eiffel Tower, and then Shin wakes up and explains. And he says that there are water towers that represent his parents, Henry, Magda, Dan, and Jason. Jason asks point blank, yo, Shin, you crazy? Do you really believe the water tower is God? And Shin just straight up asks, well, you don't? And they have a, just the normal back and forth of like, 
well, why don't you believe in it? How can you prove it's not real? You know, how can you prove it's not real if you don't believe in it? How can you understand something you don't believe in? And then Jason reports to his dad about the books, says, I didn't like any of them. I, I couldn't read them. They all require a belief in a supreme being, he says. And then he says, if you don't believe in God, the books don't mean much. And Zed just realized, you know, you're 16, you're old enough to make choices. Are you an, a- are you an atheist? And Jason's like, I'm not sure, which is maybe the only truth he's really told. Yes. He has finally... This is his biggest character arc. He has finally admitted that he doesn't know everything. And now Church and TPO are officially optional. And I think this is a really interesting thing, because his father was always depicted as like a really kind of calloused, controlling individual. But this is the turning point. And Jason, for some reason, has learned his lesson. And then he goes to the mall to do some uh, back-to-school shopping, and he runs into Henry and Magda. Uh, Henry tells Jason that they have now installed motion sensors on the water tower, but as soon as he can, he'll find another way to climb up. Jason asks Magda why is she still with Henry, and he says, quote, you could do so much better. And then Henry whacks him on the side of the head for being a dickhead. And then Henry has to get seven stitches, or Jason, fuck it. Jason has to get seven stitches and a night in the hospital, and his dad threatens to sue Henry, and Henry's banned from the mall. And it's funny, because it feels like this this part is written really, really shortly. All this stuff happens, but it's not important, almost. What is important is the fact that Jason is just alone in the hospital with his thoughts. He has time to think alone about everything that has happened with Shin. He thinks that it is his fault that Shin has dove into this headfirst, non-stop, and is now obsessed with it to the point of religious devotion. He also understands he gets it, right? He gets faith. Yeah. And he, but he doesn't have it, and that's he's jealous about it. Mm -hmm. He says, I have a religion with no church, no money, and only one member. I have a religion, but I have no faith. And the book ends on the line, maybe one day I'll find a deity I can believe in. Until then, my god is made of steel and rust. The end. Children, what did you learn? I think this book is good. It suffers for its narrative, but I really like its narrative. Uh, Again, I think the book itself is not good, but I feel like the story it's telling it. Mm -hmm. Which sounds weird, but I feel like page to page it is not a good read. I don't think it's a good, well-written book. But I do think the characters and story are interesting enough that I don't care. Yeah, I would definitely say that this is a book that I would want an English teacher to assign. Yes, I feel like this is a book you could have a class around. Mm -hmm. There's definitely, I mean, there's tons of religious content to dive into, and there's a lot of interesting dramatic parallels that you can both explore, like the meta-narrative and the narrative itself. Yep, I feel like the characters are interesting enough to carry this book, and I feel like if somebody has questions or is... Like, I feel like just anybody with any form of religious background, like, if your parents never really forced any form of religion on you, I feel, or if you didn't grow up around anybody religious in your family, you're not going to really find much in this book. Like, like the book says, it's about faith. Yes. If religious faith has any influence on your life, it's going to interest you, I think. I think it's definitely interesting as a kind of an adult's view of the teenage struggle with religion. Yes. 
Definitely. Because for most teenagers, church is just something that your parents force you to go to on Sundays mm-hmm. and steals your weekends. This, however, is more... It very much feels like it's telling you, if you're atheistic, maybe reconsider and try agnostic. I, I think it's definitely asking you to reconsider. Whatever you believe it. Yeah, because there's passages written from every side. Yeah. It's definitely saying, think critically. Mm-hmm. And I think whatever character you can empathize with definitely says something about your your faith. Because, well, like, Jason's father represents, like, traditional religion. Henry and Magda aren't religious, but, you know... Uh, they're they're reformists. They're yeah. people who are somewhat religious. They're people who believe in God, but like are like kind of like laissez faire about it. Like yeah, yeah they're I, lay people. Yeah, they're they're deists. You know, Shin is a. I mean, he's interest based. He he's it, a it really doesn't matter. He switches from thing to thing, but he has faith in whatever his current obsession is. Yeah, I'd say it's fair to call him a zealot because of how devoted he is to his ten legged god. Or whatever he wants to believe in. I feel like it's very key to know that they compared this to his obsession with the gastropods, which is also just a thing that Jason had pushed on him. I think it's a worthwhile exploration of, I guess, the people side of religion. Mm-hmm. Because it, it definitely grounds the idea of large-scale religion in the form of like, people. It's kind of reminiscent of Lord of the Flies, I think, in that way. Yes. So, I think I think we've said all we need to say. I There's so much to dive into, I'm almost... I, I almost leave it for someone for someone else to dive into. Yes. It's definitely worth a this read. Is, never before have we had a book where... I don't feel... I, I still feel like this is not the best book we've written. Or... Read. Fuck, written. Yeah. Read. What, yeah, that's... I'd be pretty I, proud I, if I, I wrote this book. book. I was four when this book came out, uh, but this, this is the book I feel the most that we've read here that I would recommend somebody read for themselves, not because I think it's the best one we've read or the best one we will read, simply because it's the one that I feel like you get the most out of reading it for yourself, simply because it's harder to grasp whether or not you like it. If I think it's fair to say that we, we plan to kind of blitz through this plot, but there were so many little things that we got stuck on that, you know, we both agreed and disagreed on, which is I think the fundamental purpose of this book is to question your place with religion. So, yeah, I think it's definitely worth a read. And if it means nothing to you, that's perfect. Yes. Honestly. That's some, yeah, that's somewhat thematically appropriate. So, uh, and any ending notes? I think I'm pretty much wrapped up. Mm, no, I think we're pretty much wrapped up. Uh, I like en- Enjoyable read, you think? Yes, I do. Uh, I liked it. I'll say that this was definitely, this was definitely much more your thing than mine. Mm-hmm. I wasn't quite as passionate about it as you were. I think it's simply a good book that I would recommend so people can understand. It's a book that I think has a lot to say and should be talked about more. Again, I do much like you bemoan how obscure it is, but I do think that it's good, but not anything great. You know, it's not mm-hmm. subject to my life. But I imagine I, I would love it way more if I read it when I was younger. Definitely, this is something that I think, depending on your background, will change a lot of things. So it's worthwhile to talk to other people about what you thought of this book. Because I thought yes. I found your insight really enlightening. 
but yeah, so I'm gonna give me my final rating is a seven point five on this one. Uh, I think I will give it uh, an eight for the content, and may again a seven for maybe the the moment to moment reading it. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna say if I was giving it a moment to moment, I'd say that's like a four. Yeah, there's there's not a lot going on until you you have to read between the lines. The height of drama in this book is some dude breaks his leg. Yeah, they fall. I love the the my my favorite part about this is your religious experience is hanging out in a fucking water tower with one of your buds who have gone nuts in a lightning yep. storm because it's so nothing, but it's a lot at the same time. Next up on our list is we are going to be delving back into the Mortal Instruments series. What a we'll what be- a what a neck snapping twist! Yeah. What, for just me jumping to the next up? No, between the subject matter of, of this and Mortal, uh, oh, yeah. Mortal Instruments. <laughs> yeah, no, but yeah, next time we'll be going back to the Mortal Instruments series, we'll be covering the rest of the books. We won't be covering the spin-off books, we might, we might revisit the series to cover those. Yeah, it's definitely something that I think we want to explore other series too, so. Yes. Uh, we'll cover those and we'll be covering... We haven't gotten around to talking about it. We need to discuss it. How much of the TV show are we going to watch? Oh, because we did that movie, and that movie was... Oh. oh, man. Oh, man. Can I say uh, we'll also put that on indefinite hold until further, further notice? Because it's very long. The TV show? Yeah, I was surprised. It's like four seasons. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, think, I think I'd rather read some of these books than watch that show. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll put this on hold. But we'll at least cover the first season of the TV show. Oh, for sure. But as for the rest, we're just going to read the the final few books, which I believe there's only two left. I believe we have three, but I'm interested in how the series wraps up, considering it felt like it wrapped up last time. Well, I mean, it had like the weakest sequel hook I've ever heard of, which felt more like, oh yeah, these characters will continue to have adventures. Uh... Look for their adventures in the next book. We have three three books left. Yes, we have City of Fallen Angels, City of Lost Souls, and City of Heavenly Fire. Boy. And then it has a bunch of, like, fun spin-off novels, you know, one written by... One written by the main character and Simon, one written by... Like, just... Fucking Magus Bane has his own spin-off series. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's it's, it's the the next part of Maximum Ride we have to get to. Where it's named oh, Fang no. so, and Angel and Max. We 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 had a we have a schedule, and we put off Max right as far on that schedule as we could have because we really don't want to. It's delayed we, into the future really because I don't, bro. We don't <laughs> want to. All right, but with this, this is episode three, and before we log off, Kyle, any quotable quotes? Oh, I did not actually collect them for this book. You son of a bitch! You made me look like a fool. I'm I'm very sorry. Honestly, how could you do this? I, I'm I'm going to admit, I was having a lot of, so much fun on my second read that um, I, I actually did this twice. So I uh, I lost my notes for the first read, so I went back through it. But oh my god! I was having so much fun. I really for, I honestly forgot. Yeah, that that it's a this is a wonderful series. Or I say series again. I, I I'm so used to talking about series of books, man. Yeah, isn't it great to read a one-off? 
Yeah, it, dude, it was so much. It was so much better. Cause like, okay, well, I'll just read the song. Like, can you to and from wrestling? It's like, oh wow, this is this is super easy. Mm-hmm. I don't have to worry about. God, it, can you imagine like, if this book had a sequel? Later. What would happen? In this it would be sequel? so awful. Like, what would that would be like? The Giver getting a sequel. We'll get to that. Oh no. We're gonna, oh look, dude, it's the Water Tower to Two. There's two of them now. What? What's a different set of Hello, wacky Hello, Mr. Mayor kids. of this town. What inspired you to build a second water tower right next, right next to the first one? Money. He's a working class adult who's like, I want to found my own religion again, like when I was a kid. Here's Water Tower Two, Electric Boogaloo. Except we're adults and can go to jail it. now. That I mean, it was just trespassing. They weren't going to go to jail to begin with. They started a Ooh. cult. So, um, not illegal. I think that's wrapping it up. Any media? Yeah. Re- what are you reading? Okay, what I read to keep myself sane was Wrestle Crap, a book of all the worst gimmicks in professional wrestling. This is one book that I feel comfortable recommending, even if you don't like wrestling. It is just a dumb, fun ride. I highly recommend anybody go through it. Just to sell you on it, the first chapter is about the gobbledygooker. A dancing turkey that debuted the same night as The Undertaker. <laughs> That's spectacular. Yes, I highly recommend it to anybody, even if you're not into professional wrestling. It is extremely entertaining. And you, my good K-Man. That's what I'm going with now. Don't worry about it. Mm, um, we'll workshop it later. Anyways, we'll it. I've been reading the Adventure Zone graphic novels. I, if you're... I keep meaning to get into the Adventure Zone. The Adventure Zone is very good. The beginning's a little rough, but hey, it's quarantine. What better things do you have to do? Exactly. Oh, well, I mean, also, if we're including comics, then I also have been reading through the entire V of One again. Because I have three better to do. Wow. Don't question me. It's good. People always assume, oh yeah, One Piece is like Naruto and Bleach is crap, right? No, One Piece is very good. No, I know it's good, but it's long, dude. It's 900 chapters. I'm Uh, already uh, a third of the way through. Bro. Dude, it's really good. Yeah, I know, I know. I just got to what I think is the best arc for a while at least, and it's really good. We have to sign off before we continue talking about this. Yes. Unfortunately. Yes. Alright, so that's why a trash this episode is in the bin. I'll get back to it. Godless by I believe it's Pete Hartman. Yes, Hartman. And I believe so. And we have enjoyed it very much. We'll leave you. And we'll see you next time. time. Ciao. Bye.